we are starting a brand new series today going through the book of Genesis. I don't know how long it will take, but I promise that we will be thorough and it will be really good. Um, so why are we going through the book of Genesis? Well, the book of Genesis, the word Genesis simply means beginnings. And we're going to be looking at uh, really the beginning today. But we just thought it was is well suited for where we're at as a church because we're kind of in a new beginning. We're in a new space. We're in a new season. Uh, a lot of new things happening. And so we, we, we felt like it'd be really helpful to go back and to look at the beginning. About eight years ago, I, I was, well, I still am, uh, was learning uh, to kind of find my voice in preaching because every guy that you ever hear preach, it goes through this phase where he's trying to find his voice. And so he'll like, He'll kind of like sound like some people for a while, and then he'll kind of figure out who he is as a preacher. And so I, I thought, you know, the best way to be able to find out who I am as a preacher would be to, to really learn from somebody. So there's this guy that was a, 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 one of the, the preachers at Perimeter uh, named David McNeely. Some of you might know him um, when he was at Perimeter. And, and so I said, David, man, I would love, I would love to learn from you. And uh, David said, all right, come meet in my office at this and this time. And so I showed up and had my notepad like open, like ready to take notes, ready to like order books on Amazon, like whatever it was he was going to tell me, I wanted. And I get in there and it's like a pretty short meeting. He's like, okay, here's the first thing you got to do. You need to go watch the movie Memento. And I'm like, what? Watch the movie. For, if you don't know what Memento is, it's a Christopher Nolan film. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rated R kind of a mystery thriller. I don't endorse it by anything, but it was an interesting movie, right? And the whole, the whole thing about the, the movie is there's this guy named Leonard who is trying to find uh, basically who took his wife's life. And the way that the movie plays out is it starts like in like, it, it starts in like real time and it, and it goes backwards to find the truth the whole time. So instead of leading up to it, it moves backwards. And, um, and so the, Leonard will find a truth or a fact about, you know, something that happened in the case and he'll tattoo it on his body because he has this um, kind of, he has this dysfunction where he can't remember things. And so, uh, you know, I'm not telling you to go get tattoos, but the thing that, that David wanted to teach me from that is that a lot of times in scripture, whenever we're preaching, we need to connect what's happening currently to, to, to kind of the beginning. We need to go back and see where the dysfunction happened and the brokenness happened and connect it to that. And so what we're doing in the book of Genesis is we're skipping back to the truth about where we've come from to make sense of life today. So just like God wrote Genesis through Moses, he wrote it to realign the hearts of God's people to their origin. We're approaching this book the same way. We're asking God to realign us to his original design and purpose for our lives. Because the, the reality is, is this, is that we live in this society that increasingly attempts to dilute the mystery of the transcendent and put man and our problems as the greatest issue in the world. But what if our experiences and brokenness and dysfunction that we experience among one another in this world were only an echo of our dysfunction with God? Because I think that's the reality. I think what we experience that causes us so much pain interpersonally and just culturally what we're experiencing now is just an echo of the dysfunction that we have with God. And the book of Genesis addresses that head on. The God of the Bible describes the beginning of the story and our story very differently than the way that the world attempts to talk about the beginning. <clears throat> and so like any book of the Bible, 
that we would preach through, we would first look at the context of it. So we'd look at the authorial intent, which is a fancy phrase for saying we want to see what the author actually meant when he wrote this. And, and basically what we see is this, is that Genesis is actually not the oldest book in the Bible. The book of Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. Genesis was written by the Spirit through Moses when the Israelites were in the Exodus. So that's around 1450 BC is where that would put that. It's what most scholars believe in. Why that's important is because you think about God's people, the Israelites, they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And they're, so they're enslaved, they get out through this miraculous intervention of the Spirit, using Moses as a leader, you know, the plagues, the, uh, the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness. And this is where the Lord leads Moses to write the first five books of the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. And Genesis is the first of those, the first of those you know, narratives. That, so the thing you got to understand about Egyptian um, culture that makes this so helpful is that in the Egyptian culture, their view of creation was basically an evolutionary view of creation. Um, so Atom was the first god who created himself out of the deep waters by sheer willpower and force. And he literally vomited and spat out his first descendants, who then gave order of creating, uh, creating order out of the chaos. Um, so what your kids are, you know, maybe learning in school about creation and evolutionary theory is not too different than what the Egyptians taught, okay? So that, that's why Genesis is so important right here, right? It's not, that, 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 there's nothing new under the sun. And so, um, so as God redeemed Israel out of the house of slavery, Israel had to be realigned to the truth of their origin, just like we have to be, or we can't make sense, eternally speaking, out of what's going on around us. So, uh, so the, the details that are given in the book of Genesis are interesting because the book of Genesis is not a history book. It's not like First or Second Chronicles or First and Second Kings. It's, it's different. It has history in it, but it's not primarily a history book. It's a narrative. And what we see happening in Genesis is, it, is that Moses is primarily interested in connecting us back to Adam. He's primarily interest, interested in connecting us back to the garden. And we know now why he wants to connect us to Adam, because we're eternally connected by the second Adam, right? So if there's no first Adam, there's no second Adam for us. There's no redemption. There's no security. There's no salvation. So uh, with that in mind, that's where we're going today. Uh, and here's our big idea. Uh, it's this. God made it all and sustains it all so we can trust him with it all. Can y'all say that with me? God Love it. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Two points I want to make about this today. Here's where we're going to spend our time. The first one is this. The beginning of creation is not the beginning of God. Let me say that one more time. The beginning of creation is not the beginning of God. The second thing is this. Jesus created the world out of chaos to be held together by him. So let's dig into this. The beginning of creation is not the beginning of God. So the first thing I just need to talk about, given our 
cultural moment is this. I don't think it's in our best use of time to try and answer questions that the writer of Genesis was not trying to answer. What do I mean by that? It's, I don't mean to invalidate any questions that you have about creation. I just don't think that Moses and the Holy Spirit were trying to answer those questions. Because if they were, we would have had more, we would have more truth around them, right? And so, uh, you know, the pulpit for us primarily isn't the best place to speculate over theory, but it's a place where we want to speak what we know to be true about God and his purposes in the world with confidence. And so that's what I'm going to do today. But if you've got a lot of questions, you know, and speculations around the theories of creation, I don't want to dampen those desires. I think those are good things to explore. I'm just not going to do that this morning. Um, So you might have questions like, how old is the earth? You might have questions like, how long did creation take? You might have questions like, were there two periods of creation? Was there a a gap in the middle? Was there in the beginning where the raw material was created and the the second period of creation where the the six days made it the earth a habitable place for image bearers of God? You might have, you know, questions like, did God create a mature earth? Or how did Genesis 1 and 2 synthesize with modern scientific evidence? You might have all of those questions that are amazing questions. I'm just not going to address them today because I don't think the scriptures are calling me to that. So I just want to let you know that from the outset. So, but we, what we do see from Genesis 1 is that the beginning of creation was not the beginning of God. So it led me to a natural question. What was God doing before creation? What was he doing? What was he up to before creation? Well, the first thing we see is this, is that he is existing in a Trinitarian relationship before the beginning of time. God's always existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God doesn't have a beginning. Time was something he created when he made the world. And it's easy for us to think that, okay, when, when, when Jesus was born in the flesh, incarnate, you know, to the Virgin Mary, maybe that was the beginning of Jesus. That'd be a, a thing that we could say. Or maybe the beginning of the Spirit was that day at Pentecost in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, uh, whenever the, the Spirit fell upon the believers in that upper room. Maybe that was the beginning of the Spirit. We, you can look at it and assume that, but if you look carefully at Genesis chapter 1, we see the Trinity functioning before the beginning of time, before creation. Listen, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Skip on to verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You read that word our and you're like, God, did you have a mouse in your pocket? Like, what's going on here? Like, our? And no, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. He was declaring what was to be true of his relationship within of himself. And then you read in John 17, 5, uh, Jesus, he says this, he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There was a loving relationship, a community before creation. And Jesus said this right before he'd go to the Garden of Gethsemane that night and be tried. And Jesus is drawing on this relationship of sweet communion that he had with his father before the beginning of time. The type of community and fellowship that you and I desperately long for, the one we just sang about, that his face would be all we'd see, 
that we'd, they'd be wrapped up in his perfect presence. This, this is what Jesus had with the Father before creation. Yet Jesus' experience of the love that he and the Father and the Spirit experienced together is different on the next day. Do you remember around noon when Jesus was on the cross after that night that he was tried and he, and he proclaimed Gen, or John 17, 5, what he would say to his Father? My God, my God, why have you, why have you forsaken me? All of a sudden, what do you, what do you notice about Jesus' relationship with his Father? It seems more deistic than anything else, right? The Father seems to be disconnected from the Son. The fellowship has been broken. And what we know to be true, now that we have the full picture of what Jesus was doing in the Father's plan, was that the Son had to be severed from his relationship with his Father so that we could be grafted in through his sacrifice. And so when you think about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what's happening when we place faith in Jesus is that Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, is drawing us into that Trinitarian relationship. Think about that. That the glory that existed before the world began, we are being drawn into by faith. That's, what, that's what's happening when we're converted. We're brought into right relationship with God. And we, what we see is that they have planned this from the beginning of time to save you and to save me through the sacrifice of Jesus. It wasn't something that was just responded to because, oh, look, Genesis 1 and 2 happened, and oh, Genesis 3 surprised me. No, it was the plan from the beginning. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. What we're going to look at here is this, this, this phrase, the, the, the blood of the eternal covenant. What does that eternal covenant mean? So how long is eternity? It's forever, right? It has no beginning, has no end. So that's how long it is, okay? So, but what is covenant? That's, that's hard for us to, to, to think about. Well, in the Old Testament, a covenant is an, is an agreement. Well, not just in the Old Testament. A covenant in general is an agreement between two parties. But the covenant that God is talking about is a covenant that would secure our relationship with him forever through what Jesus has done that they planned in eternity past. And what would happen in a covenant, you can look this up in Genesis 15, we'll preach on it, I don't know, in a couple months, a few months, but, but a covenant was cut. In the Hebrew, you look at the word for covenant, and it literally means to cut, you cut a covenant. So, pastor, how do you cut a covenant? Well, what they would do is they would, in Genesis 15, with God's covenant with Abram, they would take, he took three or four animals, and like a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and they he cut them right down the middle and split them open like this, just laid bare. God, you know, uh, before Abram. And then what happened was this, the, the presence of God passed through the middle of those sacrifices. And what it was indicating that, that if God didn't keep his end of the deal, it, that, that really, or, or anyone who, who makes a covenant and doesn't keep it, may they be just like those animals if they don't keep their end of the bargain. So basically what God was, he was declaring to Abram was that this promise is good. So church, that's what was happening before creation. It's so important to see this. If not, we'll get sideways and wrapped up and think that our biggest problems exist on this earth. But our biggest problems are dysfunction and brokenness with God. And God, before he ever created the world, planned to handle that for us by the blood of the eternal covenant. Listen to this, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything 
that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and glory forever. So it's like this. God the Father, first person of the Trinity, had a plan to send God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, to save us. And God the Spirit was sent to apply the third person of the Trinity, God the Son's work, the second person of the Trinity, to our lives so that we could feel God the Father's love, the first person of the Trinity. God's entire plan in creation was that you would know that he loves you and that he's had a plan to rescue you from the beginning of time. Now, if I were to ask you, how do you make sense of what's going on in life today? And you were just to come up with an answer. I, I bet you probably wouldn't say that. That everything that's happening around me is evidence that God loves me and he's gonna save me. He has saved me, he's going to. And so it's so key that we, that we see it this way. So where was Jesus at the beginning? John chapter one is super helpful for this. In the beginning was the word. In the Greek, it's this word logos, Jesus. It's a, it's, a, it's a title for Jesus, a name for Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Jesus was in the beginning. He was before the beginning. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. And he, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him, Jesus, was not anything made that has been made or was made. So what we see is that God creates through speaking. That spoken word is Jesus. And the way that God creates is so different than the way that we create. Because every person in this room has creative ability, whether you know it or not. Some of you a lot more than me, okay? And I'm thankful for that because I get to enjoy your creative abilities, your, your musicianship and your art, and, uh, and just, the, just the way that you're able to design things. I love that. But every time that we create, we are simply echoing what God, the creator, Jesus, has done. Because we don't create out of nothing. We create with raw materials. But Jesus creates this Latin phrase, ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. So Jesus speaks and it is. And we're going to look at this next week when we see the six days of creation. That Jesus speaks and it is, so he's different because he speaks things into existence. So the question is, what is the, the Spirit doing before the beginning of time? The Spirit is hovering and fluttering over the unformed creation in Genesis 1 and 2, isn't he? So just like your breath prepares you to speak, you take a breath before you sing a line or before you speak, so the Spirit of God prepares the way for the Word of God, the Logos of God to create. Do, do you notice that? So he's, he's preparing the unanimated matter of creation for God's Word to breathe life into it. So think about that. The world was lifeless. It was void. It was waste until Jesus' Word hit it, and it was. This is what God does. And, and I just want to say this. I think that Generally speaking, right now, if there were two ditches, not three, Brandon, um, Brandon tried to redefine my two ditches into three last week if you weren't here. So I just want to clarify, there's no third ditch, there's only two. If one ditch were God is transcendent, he is above all, and the other ditch were 
God is imminent. He's among us through his spirit, through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Where would you guess that culturally the church is today? On this side, right? Jesus is my homeboy. Huh? You got the t-shirt. I'm not judging you, okay? So we're, we're leaning more on this side. What, what my prayer has been for us is that Genesis 1 would take us more to see the transcendence of God. That in, in reverence and humility, we might get recentered and realigned with who God is. That yes, he is imminent. He's close to us. He's near to us. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh, but he's also above us. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke my life into existence and yours. So that's what we're trying to get with this. So the spirit, we see him preparing creation, the raw materials of creation, the, 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 the void and formless earth to be habitable. And he's always been doing this. This is just what the spirit has done since the, before the beginning of time. Listen to John 15, 26. He's the spirit of truth. But when the helper or the spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the father, also known as the spirit of tr- truth, John writes, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. The spirit is who animates God in the flesh. The spirit is who animates Jesus in us, activates God's word to make us alive. Listen to Titus chapter three. He says, but when the the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, he saved us. Not not because of something we've done, not because of works done by us in righteousness. That was impossible. But no, according to his own mercy, according to something in and of himself, he chose to save us. That's really important to notice because in and of himself, he chose to do it in eternity past before anything was created. And how does he do that? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what we see is the Spirit is causing us to be born again through the Word. And all of this was worked out before the beginning of time so that you might know that God existed and planned to save you before anything else was created. Because when you see that and you believe that in your heart, it gives you a confidence in the face of chaos that you can't get any other way. I mean, think about it like this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, um, that, that, that we are um, a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? The, the scriptures say, the scriptures say that that's the definition of a Christian is that we're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So that's, crea- that's Genesis 1 kind of language. God speaking life into the world through our hearts. And this is why a low view of God, an overly imminent view of God is insufficient for a right relationship with God because we need the transcendence of the God that speaks where nothing exists, because in my heart and in your heart, there's nothing good in us that God could create something good from. Do you see? But there's nothing good in me that God could kind of say, I just, just let me take that little bit of clay and just, let me just fashion it into something righteous. There's nothing there. It's all void and waste. The Spirit has to come and give us new life because of his eternal covenant. And that's what helps us make sense out of life. And consider like a like a, a different types of worldviews, like an atheistic worldview. An atheistic worldview says this, that God does not exist. You could look at a pantheistic worldview that says God is everything or a materialistic worldview that says God is stuff or a narcissistic worldview that says God is me. You could look at any of those and they, they break down. 
Because in an atheistic worldview, we determine our own purposes. Whatever feels good is what's right. We, uh, you know, that we've evolved from matter that was pre-existent and that we develop morals that make sense to us, but it always breaks down because we have to come from somewhere. We have to come from somewhere. And where does that desire for morality and an explanation for what is, where does that come from? It comes from God. Solomon wrote about it in Ecclesiastes chapter three. He says this, he's, he's made everything beautiful in his time. And he's also put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So, so God put eternity into us. He put it into our hearts, this longing, this searching for something more to make sense out of what is inside of us. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity about it. He says this, a baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures will satisfy it, well, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Church, what if the only explanation for the chaos that we experience in this world and we try to make sense of on our own was just to show us how much we long to be made right with God? It won't take you long to scroll your phone or to have a conversation with somebody here in Lawrenceville or wherever you live to find out that people are looking for more. And it's because God put it inside of them. God put it inside of me and God put it inside of you. And your deep longings that can't seem to be satisfied are gifts to you and to me. They're gifts to keep us longing after the real thing, to be made right with God. And the only way that we can be made right with God is to understand that he planned to make us right from the beginning. And we've got to abandon the other ways of trying to be made right with God and satisfying ourselves. But Jesus doesn't just create us as eternal beings. He also sustains this creation in a way that makes us dependent upon him. Uh, a few years ago, a couple of our kids had this great idea that it would be good to climb on the refrigerator door. Not only to climb on the refrigerator door, but to actually climb inside of the refrigerator. You want proof? That's Roman. Roman's, he's at least three feet up. I mean, look at this. He's scaling the refrigerator looking for, I don't know what, probably break and bake cookies. But, um, you know, he's looking for something. And so, you know, so not only would they get inside of it, they would hang on the door handles, these plastic door handles. And so um, what do you think eventually happened to the door handle? It broke, right? And it was... And I'm sure I didn't tell them, hey, guys, you're going to break the door handle, right? Of course I didn't. And so, uh, so yeah, it breaks. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I should probably replace the door handle so we can get inside of the fridge without grabbing the, you know, the six-foot top of it. And, um, and so yeah, I'm thinking a good father would buy a new door handle for the refrigerator. 
but I'm not a good father. <laughs> so I took the old door handle and I taped it. Yeah, there's duct tape. I don't know. Yeah, there it is. Thanks. Um, there's duct tape on the door handle. And if you come to our house today, we've got this nice kitchen and a duct tape door handle on the fridge. And the reason is I knew that if I replaced the door handle, what would they do? They would break it again. But if I duct taped it, what do you think they'd do? They don't hang on it anymore. You know why they don't hang on it? Because they can't trust it, right? So kind of, kind of some sick psychology there probably. So they'll get counseling later for it. But anyway, so the reason why I share this is because I think that when we think about Jesus sustaining creation, we think Jesus sustains creation about like that duct tape sustains that door. We have an insufficient view of his sustaining power in creation. And it, and, it, and it surfaces when things start getting unraveled around us and then how we respond to those situations. Consider Psalm 46, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 46, 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Doesn't sound like duct tape to me. Does it sound like duct tape to you? No. God is a very present help, a very powerful help. Very strong help in times of trouble. Therefore, he says, and I want you to listen in this passage right here. Listen to the creation, the echoes of creation here. Because what he's talking about is things that people think are permanent fading away. Most people that you share life with think that this is permanent. This is all there is. And so their worldviews and their entire approaches to life are based on this. They're predicated on this being here. Okay? So listen to what happens. He says, because God is our refuge and strength, he's a very present help in times of trouble, we will not fear though the earth gives away. <laughs> the most permanent thing you can think about just gives away. Though the mountains moved into the heart of the sea, God separated them, but they came back together. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river. He says there's another way to think about this. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High God is in the midst of her. Notice that phrase right there. God is in the midst of her. And she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So what we see is this, is that in Psalm 46, if God doesn't exist before creation, Psalm 46 is an absolute nightmare, isn't it? The earth is fading away. The mountains are in the sand. Could you imagine? This is apocalyptic stuff. Could you imagine seeing this happen? But he says, because God has existed before the beginning, that we can, we can have hope because he's in the midst when everything starts unraveling. My question to you is this, is where is life unraveling for you right now? The most permanent things that you think and that you have trusted are getting tossed into the heart of the sea. Where is that for you right now? Am I, am I speaking to anyone in the room right now who who's just feels like life is unraveling? The most permanent and secure things are coming apart for you. Is that you today? I want you to notice, not only in Psalm 46, but Genesis chapter 1, where God is in the chaos. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's chaotic, church. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So 
Genesis is dark, waste, and void, just like some of the things we're experiencing right now. Yet, where is God? What's he doing? He's present, isn't he? He's hovering over the face of the waters. He's superintending it all. He's very present. He's very present. The one thing that you notice about God throughout all of Scripture is that no matter how chaotic, how broken, and how sinful creation gets, he never abandons his creation. There will be a day that he does, but up until this point, he has not in creation. Hence the reason that you're able to come in here and hear about Jesus this morning. The world isn't as bad as it could be. But church, I do want you to hear the warning that there will be a day when, when, when the world will be destroyed and judgment will come and he will abandon creation as we know it and recreate it all. But there's one thing that'll last, the soul that is sustained by Jesus. Listen to Colossians chapter one. Listen to the creation language here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's talking about Jesus. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Underline that part. In him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's, he's the senior pastor of New City Church. And he's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. In him, all things hold together. What's holding you together this morning? What is sustaining your life? Is it the hope of a different set of circumstances? Is it the hope of 2021 and not 2020? Is it the hope of some relationship to work out for you? Some new career move? What's holding you together this morning? Are you here desperate and wondering why your life is falling apart? Psalm 46 seems to be your story, just unraveling in front of you. In my experience, it is the kindness of God for him to let us see our lives fall apart. You know why? Because then we read Colossians 1 with hope, not answers. We read it expecting for God to hold us together. And Jesus is the one holding it all together. And it's why he endured the pain and separation from his father. It's why he could say, you know, I have a deistic worldview of who my father is for that moment because he was severed, cut off, so that you could be held together by King Jesus. Have you taken him up on that offer? Let's pray together. Father, you are, uh, you are before all things. Jesus, in you, all things hold together. Lord, I pray that... Um, that would mean something to us this morning, that you would revive our cold, dead hearts in the spaces where Psalm 46 is the dominating narrative of our lives, where everything is unraveling and we can't hold it together. Lord, I pray that people in this church, especially right now in this moment, would feel the freedom to be undone before you, would feel the freedom 
to allow your grace to hold them. Father, when we feel like we're in a free fall, we turn our face toward Jesus, the one who sustains it all. God, would you help us not to trust any longer in our circumstances, in our ability to hold it together, to to duct tape our lives together. Because the story that you're writing for us started before the beginning and it'll hold us together until the end. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name, amen.